much, what banter do we have now? I don't know. I literally, <sighs> we got back from your wedding and that was, that's all. Yeah. Then I've done nothing and been happy about it. We had a, a 70s themed wedding in the middle of nowhere in South Dakota. That's what we did. It was so pretty that day. It was, it was a the beautiful, sky it was, was so perfect pretty. with the spotty And I was telling Corey, clouds. I was telling Corey because everybody was like, in leading like up to winds. the wedding. Yeah. Well, leading up to the wedding, everybody was like, oh, you know, we're praying that you have good weather and blah, blah, blah. Like, even in, like, the summer and, like, that uh-huh. winter and everything else. Because everybody in town knew that we were having the wedding. And I was telling Corey, I was like, every time we're up here and, like, people find out that we're from out of town, they're like, oh, like, you've gotten lucky with this weather. Like, it's normally so windy. This isn't typical for South Dakota, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like... Everybody says that to me every freaking time I'm here, and I come up here twice a year, every year, so I don't know if anybody's telling the truth anymore. I'm like, I get that it's windy, because I've been, like, it's been super windy when we've been there before, Mm -hmm. but also, like, I mean, I feel like it's been windier at my own home. Like, it's been windier here than most of the times I've experienced it there. There's only two days. There was one, one day we went out to the shooting range that was, like, stupid windy. And then the only other time I can really think about, like, it being so windy was when there was a really, really good snow and we wanted to go sledding and we were, like, using yeah. the sleds as shields to walk between no, locations. No, I feel like the windiest times has been winter. But yeah. they oh, at, sure. But everybody says, like, oh, like, even the summer is normally super windy and everything else. And I'm, like, I feel like only when there's, like, storms. Yeah, when the, when the weather changes are coming in. But anyway, I was telling Corey how, like, that happens every time we're there. They're like, man, you're lucky you're here at this time. Like, it's, this isn't typical for South Dakota, blah, blah. And I was like, I bet, like, there's going to be almost no wind on my wedding day. Just because every time we're there, it seems that the winds are not there. <laughs> it was the perfect amount of wind. I know. Day. It was great. Enough that it, your hair wasn't going every which way. Well, but... and the best part is that every time Ben started saying something, like, more spiritual, the winds picked up. And me and Jake <laughs> kept saying it to each other and, like, looking at each other. That's funny. Every single time. But that was, like, the only time we noticed the winds, like, even picking up at mm-hmm. all. It was really... It was cool. <sighs> that was good. No, it was, it was good. All around good. Yep. All right. That's all I have to say, because... I mean, I'm, I've already talked about the wedding to everybody else. <laughs> so it's hard <laughs> to remember you what you need to I know, talk I'm about. like, what a, yeah. what's missing from it? I don't know. Yeah, I got married. That's really all. That's the big... Okay. Besides what we what happened in the last episode that I just described of Aubrey and Alistair. Uh, now he is really the ringleader of demons. He decides he needs to also have a medical issue. <laughs> because she's gotten more attention because of hers. Oh, well, and she hasn't. Sick, you get more she hasn't even really gotten more attention. Like I just watch, like stare at her more than normal. Mm-hmm. Just make sure she's not doing anything. Well, because sometimes, like odd. in her sleep, she does like weird, like movements, and that stresses me out. But like, she never had a seizure when she had her episode, so I'm like, why does that stress me out? I think she's just dreaming. It was just her like walking, aimlessly. Like she looked like she was like possessed or something. It mm-hmm. was really. You should have seen her that night that I took her in. It was like honestly really scary. Because she literally was just walking in circles around my room, well, like, following the wall like this. Like, touching and it, just, like, leaning yes. against it, yeah. And just bumping into everything, and just kept going in circles around the room. And I closed her in, like, the room with me, because I didn't want her to fall on the stairs or something, and, like, do it around the whole house. Yeah. Oh, it was so, it was bad. No, and that makes sense. And she had, like, a little episode before she had that big, long one. 
where she would just kind of like stare mm-hmm. off into space and like didn't seem like she knew what was going on. But nothing like that has happened since we got her her medicine. And she started like improving like right when they started getting her stuff at the hospital too. Yeah. If anybody has special needs pets, I guess send them my way because <laughs> that's what my home is turning into. Handicapped pets. Alistair's probably not going to pee normal for the rest of his life. Opry is going to probably need medicine the rest of her life. Even though we've, I mean, we've taken her down on the dosage of her steroid, because that's like the main one to Mm -hmm. keep it from flaring up. And we're down to one pill a day. and That's good. Because she started at two pills a day and then one and a half. And now she's just at one for the whole day. And she seems normal and she's gotten her energy back. She's actually able to keep weight up. Yeah. Gosh, she used to be an absolute skeleton, and now she actually looks like a dog. Yeah, so if anybody else has a dog with an autoimmune disease, you're not alone. If gain weight, <laughs> it might have an autoimmune disease. That's true. Well, the lady, the vet, or the neurologist for her was even saying, like, we, like, we told her about the issue of, like, even before she's never really kept weight on, before mm-hmm. she, we noticed any episodes... Um, and she was like, I know, like, you just spent a whole bunch of money on, you know, her medical bills from this place, but, like, in the future, you can look into going to, like, a dietitian or something, or a gastro-whatever, enterologist mm-hmm. or whatever for, you know, specialists of dogs, because that could, something with that could possibly cause the autoimmune, or, like, it, they don't even know if it's an autoimmune disease for sure, but she was like, that's just what we assume it is. And, you know, you can't test for everything. You can, but nobody has the money for that. We don't have the money for that. People do, but not us. She doesn't have specific enough symptoms. Yeah. So she was like, it it could. She was like, I kind of doubt it, but that could be something that's causing these issues and blah, blah, blah. But I'm like, I mean. So she's she's able to keep weight on now. Yeah. I, I think. I don't think that was what was causing it. Well, one of the things that they said, too, that was a side effect of her medicine was like they gained just fat and no muscle, but. I don't think she's fat. No, she. You you can't see. You can't count all of her ribs individually a from a lady. long distance now. <laughs> I know she looked real bad. <sighs> but anyway. Yeah. Now that you can't see every single bone in her hips, you realize that she was so skinny. Well, I knew she was skinny the no, whole I know, time, but, but like, I kept feeding her. Knew she but was she just knew wouldn't she was keep fed. weight on. Anyway, she probably eats more than Apollo, honestly, because she eats her bowl and Finley's bowl, and she'll go upstairs and get into Apollo's cage whenever he's eating and eating out of his bowl with him. <laughs> and she'll eat the cat food and the cat poop and anything she finds on the ground. She eats anything. She she'll eat... to eat. <laughs> she'll eat the dog toys. Oh, my gosh. And no, I don't let her eat the dog toys. I claw them out of her mouth, but sometimes she gets them when I'm not paying attention. Slurps them down too fast. She swallows them whole. It's like dogs that slurp up socks. Like, they find them and you go, oh, yes. and it's, in, it's down. You can't do anything That's about it. That's what she does with full dog toys. And she's not a big dog, so. She's a big old head, though. Everything, luckily, has come out. Bobblehead. Because if the next thing I have to pay for is a surgery for a blocked bowel, I'm going to lose my mind. I'm going to say, you can keep her, please. <laughs> no, I won't, but. Anyway. <sighs> Yeah, she has two front cuffs on her legs shaved, and the top of her head is shaved. She's a little monk monk cut. Yep. <laughs> Poor girl. And then Alistair decided he needed matching a leg cuff with her, so <laughs> he got one, too. <laughs> he looks so cute with his, though, because his hair sticks, like, right I bet, out. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Okay, anyway. It looks uh, like a fashion statement. It does. He's trendy. I guess we should tell our stories now. Okay. I've been talking too long about my animals. I'll start. Okay. We've been talking too much now. I catch my breath. <laughs> I know. I need to refocus on what we're actually supposed to be doing. Oh, my allergies are too bad to have full breathing capacity. Drew says Alistair doesn't like him anymore. He had to give him more medicine at 11. Mm. And now Alicat hates him. Yeah, which is funny because I give Alice medicine and he's like... He goes away for a second and then comes back and wants pets. That's funny. Man, well, we could talk about how good of a road trip dog she is. She's so good. She slept the whole, what, 12, 13 hours? Yeah, Finley's a nightmare. She's amazing. She slept the whole 12, 13 hour car ride. Didn't bother anybody. Didn't ask to go to the bathroom. Didn't, like, go to the bathroom on herself or anything. But Finley, like, acts like he has to go. And then he just wants attention. But she slept the whole time. She got to go on walks, but it's too populated around here. She's so scared of them, but she loved the walks up there because there was nobody around. She loved it up there. She loved it. She's a small town gal. One of my favorite things I'll think about all the time is the two times in a row that Finley got clotheslined. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was so <laughs> funny. running around in the horse pasture, so excited to have so much big space with so many good well, smells Well, it's funny because the, the first time he got clotheslined is because Aubrey was trying to start playing with him, and so she, like, ran she was away on from me, and I, like, pulled the leash tight between me and her, and he ran over that one and clotheslined himself in that leash. And then the other one was just the wire fence that he literally just double flipped over into oh, so the bushes. Twice around. It was, it was so, so funny. funny. And then he, he came running back. It was really mad because Opry, uh, he blamed Opry for it. And then he sat down. It was so funny. Because he was very embarrassed. <laughs> he was not hurt. He was just embarrassed. <laughs> okay. Okay, let's start. So, my story is the Bear Brooks, Bear Brook murders. My sources are Wikipedia, only in your state, and Mary Hallberger, no, Mary Hallbergmedia.com. Um, so, Bear Brook State Park is located in Allentown, New Hampshire, and was established in 1943. It is a 10,000, it is 10,000 acres, and includes 40 miles of hiking trails, fishing, camping, archery, really any activity like any activity you think of happening in a park like especially the big parks that they got yeah. it it's it's a big old park you can go to do all sorts of things so um the park is also home to the new new why can't i new hampshire looked fake in my mind Let oh, no, it looks very strange when you read when you see hampshire mm-hmm. so the park is also home to the new hampshire snowmobile museum Old Allentown Meeting House. Snowmobile Museum. Yeah. And the Richard Deal Civilian Conservation Corps CCC Museum. No clue what that is. I assume it's people who like conservation. Um, so on the 10th of November, 1985, a hunter discovered a 55-gallon drum near a burned-down store within Bear Brook State Park. He decided to open the drum, and inside he saw a skull. Um, so authorities were called. Were called. Oh. Oh, dear. How does he just have the tools on him to pry open a 55-gallon? You know, I don't know. Is he carrying a mini crowbar? 
I love a good mini crowbar. They're very handy. Um, so in the drum were the remains of an adult female and a young girl wrapped, and they were both wrapped in plastic inside the drum. Okay. Um, autopsies of the bodies found that they had died from blunt force trauma. The adult was determined to be between the ages of 23 and 32 at the time of death. Oh no, that's my age range. <laughs> it is? I know. And the child was said to be between 5 and 10. The bodies. That's not my age range. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. The bodies were nude and still decomposing. Though, because they were sealed in drums, authorities determined that they were put in there anywhere in between six months and three years before they were discovered. Because, you know. Yeah. Mummies. <laughs> Those drums do be keeping people preserved. So, the police interviewed the residents of a nearby trailer park to determine if they knew who the victims might be or if they'd witnessed any suspicious activity. Um, but they came up with no leads. Sorry for the moving around. It was speculated that the two were mother and child and that the murders may have been a domestic matter, but investigations still led, like, they couldn't find any, was it domestic, was it not domestic, nobody knew. They had absolutely no leads about who these people were or who may have done this. Yeah. Okay. So they were buried in the Allentown Cemetery and a marker was placed inscribed with, here lies the mortal remains known only to God, of a woman aged 20, 23 to 33, and a child, and, and a girl child aged 8 to 10. Their slain bodies were found on November 10th, 1985, in, a, in Bear Brook State Park. May their souls find peace in God's loving care. And I like how it's um, in case you needed details and you're later going to be investigating anything, no, really. here's the base information you here's, need. <laughs> if anybody knows who these two are, here's the information yeah, to help I you. I loved that. Doesn't well, so that make sense, though? <laughs> all, all unknown, like, Jane, Jane John Doe's should be yeah. buried that Because normally they just bury people they don't know and say, like, known only to God. Yeah, it's like, that's not helpful. whatever day. If we're going to figure out who they are, we need to know more than that. Even for the sake of looking up the police record so you know it's it makes more sense to put details like that on there. Yeah, so the, but also some places can't afford and they're not gonna do that for you know. Stones with base inscriptions aren't that expensive if there's nothing else happening. Well yeah, on but them. the city's not gonna pay for every unknown person. Every unknown person, yeah. To have that kind of the I think the bare minimum then is they should all be numbered. Yeah. It should be, you know, the case number or the file number should be on the stone. It, even if it's not like a normal visible place, it'd be like on the back bottom. But that way you can go back and know that that's where that dead body is that's related to that. So so that you can go back later if you... Well, they've probably got more stuff. Need or want to. That shows where they've buried a Jane Doe. It depends on the year. Well, unless you're in like New York, then they send you to that island and you get buried in a pit. Yep. Unclaimed. Um... So the case went cold for the next 15 years until 2000 when a new trooper was given the case. He went back to the site where the drum was found um, and discovered just 100 yards away from the scene a second drum. No. So nobody's even checking in on this like spot. Here's I have like a whole paragraph of how But I guess if you if so you dumb. if you thought it was a domestic then you wouldn't think it's a they serial killer. They did think killer. it was a domestic right away. Okay. Um, so the excuse is that the drum was dumped, um, 
for, for them not finding this drum originally is that the drum was they dumped at the same time they, they believe they're 100% definitely related okay um like immediately they think that yeah um and I think the local <clears throat> kids may have moved one to a secondary location to use as like a table or to do other nonsense things with and that's why they're like spread out now um because they're not spread out that far if you're going to spread them out you'd spread them out further if you're doing it for like having they like you know hiding the victim yeah. like, as the murderer um, and that the first investigation must have been, like, too overwhelmed by the size and the density of the undergrowth of the woods. So that's why they didn't find it. And, like, that's such a bad excuse. Like, you put on your bug search. spray, tape up your pants and sleeves, put on a hat, and start walking in systematic rows. I know it's gross. And it's not really not that hard, though. It's just gross. Like, it's not an excuse. Because literally what I do for a living is walk back and forth in organized rows through the deep woods. That's what they're <laughs> supposed to literally do for their job. That's what they're supposed to do for their job. And I do that for my job, so I know it's not that hard. <laughs> it's just gross. <laughs> they just didn't want to. There's no excuse they did not find these, um, this, this second, this their second drum earlier. I didn't feel like it. It was like work. That's their excuse. Um, so after finding the second drum, they now believe there might be more remains in the area. Wow. Um, but to this date, none have ever been found. And I think they've done more systematic searches since yeah. then. Um, they also, I don't know if they brought dogs out, I don't know if they've done anything else, or if they've just been looking for drums. <laughs> yeah. But either way, they're aware that they might, they wouldn't be surprised if they found more people here. It's like a dumping spot that people, like, go to a secluded place and drop yeah, all their it's, it's behind dogs. This, it's behind an old, burned-down store, which means there's a road there. Yeah. Um, so it's easy to dump things. So inside the second drum were the remains of two more individuals... Both, both believed to be female children. Um, one was determined to be between, be between the ages of one and three, and the other between two and four. Jeez. Um, at this point, there's only it was only skeletal remains. Because um, they've been, so they been there for so long. And But it also it's still even just as skeletons appeared that they were beaten to death as well. So the four victims became known as the Allentown Four. I heard about, I saw this one whenever I was researching um, to find this story. The, like, the person who did all of this, I think, is more known, but I had never, like, specifically heard, like, this story detailed out. Yeah. So. I've heard, like, the Allentown Four, mm-hmm. but I have never, like, I don't actually know the story. And then um, it came up whenever you search New Hampshire. Oh, of course, yeah. So, it was speculated that the four may have not been visible members of society. Um, one, because no one's saying, oh, yeah, I know all of that lady and all those children. Yeah. Um, but also because of the poor teeth quality. They, they're, they like, lacking dental care. Yeah. To a degree that, like, means they're not on... They're not regularly they're going really on about. They're really and... Yeah, yeah, they're... Yeah, they're very much on the outskirts of society. So, Angela Williamson... Yeah. With the Center for Missing and Exploited Children said about this case, um, I don't think they were regularly in school and went home and had dinner with mom and dad every night um, when commenting about the girls. Like, they didn't have a regular, regular normal life. They weren't yeah. going out and about. This was... Um, I think she's implying it's, a, it's at least a mildly abusive situation. Yeah. Um, even if it wasn't necessarily the mom doing it, something's wrong. Yeah. It's not, they're not living a normal life. So they're not going to leave a normal 
footprint, a fingerprint, whatever, <clears throat> in the world. They all could have been kidnapped and kept in that house, and the kids could... It, it was and the lady true, could have been abducted when she was younger. Exactly. They, and then the, her and they kidnapper have, was the one that made her have all these kids, and they whatever just got it all is, locked together in the normal. house. Because that happens. So, it's, it's true, it does. It, uh, way more often than it should in the mm-hmm. United States, or anywhere in the world, but... Places where people too. pay attention, you know. Where you, you would think there's there's enough re- re- like recordation of everyone yeah. for them not to be able to just disappear like that. So New Hampshire State Police Sergeant Joe Ebert thought that someone must know something about these girls, but for for whatever reason was not able or willing to come forward. Um, You'd like to think, that, and that the victims you? were likely not living near their families and were living in a very remote location, and that's why. They're, yeah. getting no- they're getting nothing. Because even, even just slightly having an inkling of who they might be can help the investigation forward. Yeah. So in 2014, some of the first identifying information was uncovered. The woman... They found out that the woman was maternally related to the girl. Um, that does not mean necessarily mother. It, it proves it's either mother, sister, or I think aunt. aunt. I think that's the, the level in which it can identify. At least this early on. Yeah. In, in in advanced DNA testing. So now they know that the adult woman and the girl she was with are related. Are related. And then they do further testing and find that the youngest of the girls... um, It's the youngest of the girls. Yeah. Was... who She was the one that was found in the second, second drum. Yeah. Is also related. But the middle girl is not... Does not seem to be related to the victims. Okay. Um, at least they're using, oh, what is that? Mitochondrial? Is that the... mRNA? Yeah, they're using mRNA oh, for, so for all of this. I didn't know my sound was on. <sighs> okay. So, in 2020... No, 2002. Good night. Um, in 2002, the body of... Forgive me, I am very bad at Korean names. So, the body of... Ensoon Jun was discovered buried in cat litter in oh. her home. She shared with her partner, groomer, kidnapper, slash murderer, um, a man called Larry Vanner. Vanner was arrested and processed for Jun's death, which he was found guilty of. Um, and part of being processed is, you know, putting fingerprints into the system, taking DNA, DNA etc. So they put his fingerprints in the system. And they find that they match to two individuals, um, one named Curtis Mayo Kimball, and the other, yes, (laughs) and the other Gordon Jensen. And I don't mean he's related to a crime with these people. I mean, he's, his name is matched to these individuals. So these are aliases. So he at least has three names, right? Um, and these two specific names, though, are re- are linked to a child abandonment case from 1985. I want to know what his thought process was on the cat litter. Does he think that's going to reduce the smell? No, I think it was to, like, probably, like, dehydrate her a little bit. I don't know. I didn't read into that murder because I figured... I know, I know. I'm, just, I I'm just thinking about the cat litter. Like, what, did, what does he think that's going to do? Because I've was. never been heard of cat litter used <laughs> in any other kind of thing like that. No, that's why it was really weird. That's why I included it. I could have yeah. just said she was murdered by him. Like, no, that's <laughs> weird. Okay. Anyway, so linked to this, <clears throat> this 
child abandonment case or endangerment. One of those two. I think it's actually endangerment. Um, Probably both because it's both. They usually go together. Yeah. So in in 1985, this man, I'm just calling him this man because right we don't know what his real names, name is. <laughs> was, and he's the only man we've, we've talked about so far who is an investigator. Yeah. <laughs> was arrested for driving under the influence and endangering the welfare of a child. This child he called Lisa. Um, so, like, he is arrested, he escapes, and he's caught again, and that's, that's why he has, the two names are connected, because he yeah. changes his name in between. Either way, Lisa's no longer in his custody. He is, she is safe. Like, <laughs> so, because of this connection here is how we figure out who the Allentown Four are. Okay. So, in 20, yeah, 2013, San Bernardino Detective... Peter Headley was given Lisa's case and with the help of Jeanette, because they didn't know who she was. Yeah. They didn't, other than like, she might be this guy's daughter. So he's given her case. Um, and with the help of genetic genealogist, Barbara Ray Venter, they were able to identify Lisa's mom as Denise Bowden of Manchester, New Hampshire. Um, and it identified that the man who she thought was her father was instead exclusively her kidnapper. Okay. So, so this guy with three names is not her dad, despite that's what she even Lisa's believed this entire time. She believed that her father lost custody of her. Yeah. <laughs> um, for criminal Can you actions. imagine finding that out? You think that your dad went to jail or whatever and can't see you anymore because he was drunk driving, but it turns it wasn't out he even was your drunk dad, driving you and also your kidnapping victim. Um, so this discovery put this man in New Hampshire around the same time that the Bear Brook Four would have been murdered. And now, so now we have someone who might be a reasonable yeah. suspect because it even could be the mother because they don't know where Denise Bowden is. She, yeah. she's gone, she went missing shortly before Lisa was found with this guy. So, oh, so on top of the DNA, the DNA DNA testing that they did for Lisa also showed let us figure out who this other little girl was. Okay. The little girl is the biological child of this man. Okay. So the kidnapper. Yeah. So now we at least know how she sort of fits into this picture and that he's now 100% definitely connected to these murders because she is related to him. They didn't expect this connection to come up. Well, he's not necessarily connected to the murders, but connected to the victims. Yeah. Well, a victim. To a victim <coughs> in this thing. But yeah. like, that's that's enough to maybe investigate him yes. being the murderer. Yes. Um, so in 2017, there's there's a lot, there's always lots of gaps in these. Yeah. Because you're like, well, we have this, now what do we do with it? Well, yeah, because they oh. get a lead and then it goes cold and mm-hmm. then they get another, that's, it's just, Yeah, Yep, know. it's just how it is sometimes. So in 2017, the police now have... Five names for one man. They have Robert, Bob Evans, Curtis Mail Kimball, Gordon Jensen, Larry Vanner, and Gary Mockerman. But they have no idea who he really is, so they put a video out to try to identify him because they've connected him to other yeah. crimes now. That's how we get additional names. Um, so two months after they put out this video, and I don't know if it's just, like, his picture or his story. They're like, if you know these men, do you yeah. know feels about him or what? <laughs> do you know Either any way. of these names? <laughs> right. It's all the same man. <laughs> <laughs> or do you know this man with another name? We'll also take that. <laughs> so two months later, they, ident- they 
Um, his identity... I wrote the sentence weird and now my brain's confused. So two months later, he is identified as Terry Rasmussen. Officially his um, real god They think this is, a, this is official. This is, this is his birth certificate name. I always say god-given um, name. <laughs> I guess your parents um, kind of are god for you. Otherwise you wouldn't be here. And they, I think they confirm that this must be him because they connect his DNA to what I assume is son because they're using Y. Yeah. And you can only connect boys with that. Yeah. Um, what they believe to be a son from, they think, his first marriage. They think this was his, like, original life. Okay. The son, the, the son from his original life before Back he turned to Back when he went crime. by Terry. Back when he went by Terry. So now, now we have a whole identity for him. So Rasmussen is further investigated. And now, because they have this name, they're able to connect him to a new person. So in 1978, Rasmussen was dating a woman named Mar- Marlies? Marlise. Marlise Elizabeth Honeychurch. That's a name. Um, and she had two daughters, Marie Elizabeth Vaughn and Sarah Lynn McWater. The three were last seen in La... Punchette. Punta? P-U-E-N-T-E. I, I also can't do Spanish. French nope. and Spanish are my... I can't do the romance languages. We did German. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and even then, we're not great at that. Our last scene um, in La Punta, California. Um, in 2019, using DNA, the three related Brookbear victims, so the woman and the older daughter and the younger daughter, yeah. were, to, were identified like it was confirmed that they were in fact Honeychurch and her daughters. So now we know exactly who they were and okay. that, that he was dating them before they yeah. disappeared. He's their murderer. Um, unfortunately, Rasmussen died in prison in 2010 when he was in prison for killing the, the woman who the was able to lady, start yeah. this whole investigation. Um, from a combination of lung cancer, chronic obtrusive pul- pulmonary disease, and pneumonia. Well, I hope they hit him with the three punch. <laughs> um, to this day, Denise Bowden's body has still never been found. She's considered, they assume she is dead, that he killed her, but she also is technically just a missing person because yeah. they don't have a body. Um, they assume that the mother of the biological child of the Allentown Four mm-hmm. was also murdered by him, um, but they don't. They've never found another body to this date. And they've never been to give her more of an identity, the daughter, more of an identity than yeah. the fact that her her dad killed her. They don't have any clue on the They have no clue who yeah. she might be in the world. Um, so have you ever interacted with this man? Any of those aliases. With any of those aliases. Or maybe a different alias. Because um, if you look them up, there's pictures. You might know something. You might know something. And I, it help. seems like they're very willing to continually investigate this case. Because they 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 well, cause you want to find he all almost the definitely if has he, more victims. Yeah, if he's killed all those people. Yeah. It's like absolutely look him up if you recognize him. If your grandma recognizes him, like ask the old people in your life. <laughs> oh, he's so ugly. Um, because they're still trying to figure out who, who and where some of these people are, and who else he may have murdered, kidnapped, anything. 
It's always the ugly people like this that are serial killers, but well, also have so many kids. And I'm like, who most is... wild for him though is he seemed to continually be. He would. He, he killed his own finding... daughter that he knew was his own daughter. Yeah. Not. He was. He was weird because of the people he was killing. The way he was doing it was not normal for serial killers to do. Yeah. Like, why would you keep having new tiny families and then killing them? All was of what them. was weird. Yeah. That it was, it's a, it's a very well, different they pattern. Couldn't, and they didn't even have, they didn't get to question him about any of it because they didn't put any of this together until, until later after he, on. Yeah. After he died. So oh, they, it's so cool. <coughs> Hope his son's okay. Uh, I, I assume so. I and not going out and doing him. stuff like him. Yeah, but you didn't find out any of this until he's dead, after That's he's true. dead in prison. That's a good one. I'm his not... son willingly put his DNA in the system, though, because I don't think it was through the criminal means. I think it was through, like, ancestry or something. Yeah. You know, like, whoever. Yeah. The ones that were people pay to test their blood. <laughs> okay. But it's it's his... All the stuff that they discovered with him was part of the reason they started investigating old-timey serial killers, though. He's, I think he's one of the main reasons they went back and started testing for, like, the Golden State Killer and stuff like that. Yeah. To, like, actually bother to check those up. Is because they were so successful with him. Yeah. And he was, like, dead, dead. <laughs> They're like, well, if it works, with will See, who else we can, we can catch? No, that's good. I've never... I don't think I've ever listened to any of stories about them. And if I did, it might have been before they found out any of the actual information. Well, because some of those only came out in 2020. Yeah. When they, like, actually released the yeah. stuff, the findings they had from 2019. I know there's a case that I might cover... Okay, so, well, I guess I didn't say anything at the beginning of this, but this is going to be the, the first of our October um, episodes, and so whenever I think of fall in October, I always think of, like, Salem and, you know, all the pretty fall places up in that uh, area, England. yeah, so we're only going to be covering New England stories for um, the month of October. Well, besides our Halloween specials, because, um... That can be anything we want. Yes. <laughs> Anyway, just a heads she up already on has that. an idea that may or may not um, <clears throat> go in with. Yeah. But anyway, there was a story that I like was looking at doing for, like a, I guess I think it's in New Hampshire. Even that one was, but it was like um, a missing person case, and they were still getting like information, like literally like a few months ago mm-hmm. in twenty twenty two. And I was like, well, maybe I'll wait a little bit because if they find anything, like. I don't want to cover it and have to, like... Have, like, an update. Want to go back and do a recap, you know? Because most of the ones that I uncover are, like, unsolved murders where they would, like, probably mm-hmm. never have a chance of figuring mm-hmm. out, like, the Lighthouse one and everything, but... Yeah, anyway. Yeah, old, old, but you can't... <clears throat> yeah, do newish old. Newish old. Okay, so my story today is about Ocean-Born Mary. I got my information from NewEngland.com, <laughs> Wikipedia.org, and NHMagazine.com. So first we'll start with the history. This is another little short one, but I thought like it was a fun story. Yeah. I feel like my story was short last time too, but anyway. I know short paranormals are fine if it's a good little paranormal. So well I feel like my other the true crime was shorter, but it's I mean I guess if for no most clue. unsolved cases they are pretty short. Yeah, that's true. But they're still fun to cover. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so, ocean-born Mary Wallace was born to Scotch-Irish immigrants James Wilson and Elizabeth Fulton Wilson on July 26, 1720. Her mother went into labor while still aboard the ship carrying her and her husband to America. So, um, her first name is Ocean-born Mary. 
I it's couldn't like figure that name. out. Anyway, we'll, we'll we'll get into this. So okay. she gave birth on a ship called the Wolf off the coast of Boston, but that same day, pirates captured captured their ship and started to attack the crew and the passengers and said they were going to kill everybody on board and take all the treasure and, you know, sink the ship or whatever. Yeah. So, the legend goes that, allegedly, the pirate captain was Don Pedro, um, and he heard a newborn crying. So he went to find the newborn and saw the newborn was a red-headed little girl, and he stopped the attack and requested that everybody meet him and the child and her family, because they're all hiding, like, below deck or whatever, because mm. I guess, you know, they hear this attack above them. So, he was allegedly so moved by this little family that he said he would set all of the captives free and spare everybody's lives if the child was named after his mother. So, the baby was named Oceanborn Mary Wallace. Oceanborn is not her first name. No, (laughs) but that's just what they call her. It's just Mary. Um, Mary was his mother's first name. Anyway. So, he left the ship, but came back and presented her mother with green silk that he said was to be worn on the child's wedding day. So, Mary grew up in Londonbury, New Hampshire. Well, he kept his promise and left, and everybody mm-hmm. got to, you know, survive and go on to America. So, Mary grew up in Londonbury, New Hampshire. Um, she eventually got married to James Wallace on... Was his last name Wallace? Oh, their last name's Wilson. Okay. Anyway. So, she got married to James Wallace on December 18th, 1742, wearing the green silk, of course. And she had four sons, Robert, William, Thomas, and James Wallace, and one daughter, Elizabeth. She was described as being a handsome woman. Dogs. Who just got home? No, that's exactly what it sounds like, though. The dad goes somewhere? Dad, I guess? I don't know. Anyway. So, she was described as being a handsome woman over six feet tall with red hair and bright green eyes. Um, reports of her appearance cannot be verified because it's, you know, way back in olden times, but all of her sons were known to be very tall and green-eyed, and I think at least one of them was a redhead. So, there, um, three of her sons married sisters, the daughters of Robert and Mary Moore of Londonbury, and Elizabeth married Lieutenant Thomas Patterson. So the three sisters were, like, of a prominent family in New Hampshire, and you this lieutenant guy. Berry, but you Is wrote that right? London Dairy. Um, yeah, it's London Dairy. I'm reading it wrong. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think I'm slightly dyslexic. Anyway, so, um, yeah, so they, f- four out of her five kids married into prominent families, I think. Anyway, so, yeah, well, there's two families, because Elizabeth married somebody else. Yeah. So, Mary and her husband James were married for 39 years until October 30th, 1781, when James died in Londonderry and was buried in the hill burying ground there. So, Mary moved in with her son William at his home in Hennecure. Sure. So, Oceanborn Mary died on February 13th, 1814, at age 93. She lived a long life. That's a life. long life, yeah. She is buried in the center burying ground in Hennecure, Hennecure, and she is said, she was said to be elegant in her manners, resolute and determined, of strong mind, quick of comprehension, sharp in her conversation, and very witty with a strong 
Brogue? Yeah. Anyway, so that's just a little bit about Mary. Pieces of her green silk wedding gown are now in various places, including the New Hampshire Historical Society, which you can see um, today, I'm pretty sure. The folk song Ocean Born Mary by Neptune's Car <laughs> was inspired by Mary's story. I don't know if that's a typo or if that's really what the name of the band is. Hold on, I'm going to look it up really quick. Mm. Neptune's car, yes. So, now we are on to the hauntings. Um, so, there were two Wallace houses in the town of Henniker, Henniker, whatever you say. One was the home of Mary's son, Robert, and the other was her son, William's. Um, like I said, she went to live with her son, William, after the death of her husband, but it was said that she did not care too much for Robert and rarely visited his home. So, William's home became the town poorhouse in 1840 and eventually burned down um, in 1923. Robert's home was built in 1760, and it still stands to this day, and it's said to be the location of the haunting. Mm -hmm. So, the story of this house began by Lewis and Flora Roy, who owned the house in the 1930s. According to Roy... The same pirate captain who spared Mary's ship tracked Mary down, and some places say different things. One says that they got married, and one says that she just took care of him in his old age. That one seems more likely if either um, of them are. But anyway, one day, Mary found the body of the pirate dead, either in the house. This, this is all, like, you know, different sources say different things. Legend. Either in the house or on the grounds of the house. Um, and suspected he was killed over pirate treasure. So Mary buried him and his treasure under the huge hearthstone in the kitchen. Is this just Treasure Island? Which was his instructions. Um, this is just the beginning of Treasure to Island. To marry if anything happened to him. So <laughs> Lewis would tell visitors that Oceanborn Mary lived in the house and could still be seen rocking in her chair. Which, again, she never lived there, so mm-hmm. it was never actually her chair. Um, but anyway, this is just like a big old folklore thing, but I just mm-hmm. feel like the story's good enough to tell. Yeah. Anyway, so Mary's ghost is said to haunt the house in order to protect the hidden treasure. So, lost strangers who would stop by the house asking for directions were said to be met at the door by a tall, red-haired woman in colonial dress, who they assumed to be a historical reenactor because she... Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> was, ...looked old-timey. Um, and it's an old house, so it would make sense if there's a historical reenactor there. Aubrey, I'm almost done with the story, so chill out. Um, so others claim to have seen a similar figure in the yard, or, what did I say? Figure. Figure. (laughs) In the yard, or walking on the road into town. She has also been known to appear in the upstairs window, and on the main staircase, people have noted her red hair and glowing green eyes. That's fun. Um, tourists and treasure seekers paid 50 cents to rent shovels and dig for the pirate's treasure in the orchard on the property. <laughs> um, no evidence of treasure or human rena- remains have been found at either Wallace house. But that is the story and the legend of um, Oceanborn Mary. I like it. I, I swear to you, the, the ending pirate was like the pirate came in the old age and died and buried the tre- that was the beginning of Treasure Island. It might be. 
<laughs> and uh, if it is, then they would have gotten it from this because that story started in the 1930s. Hmm? In the 1930s. Because when that story started? Yes. Well, the book is is the 1880s. Oh, I'm thinking of a movie. <laughs> but anyway, I guess he could have gotten it from that. But I, yeah, I mean, one, like, one of but them it, is obviously the it original was story. true that a pirate <laughs> took over that ship and let them all go. Like, that's the part of the story that I'm pretty sure is, like, fully true. I'm sure that is, like, provable, too. Yeah. Well, because there were other, like, people survived it. I don't think you would make that up, especially if you're, like, an an, an immigrant coming into America for the first time, and you just start telling people a pirate attacked our ship, but they let us go. I wouldn't think her children would be able to marry as well if they were in the town weirdo liars. Yeah, I don't know. But anyway, so that's the story of Oceanborn Mary, and it is the town of folklore. Anyway... Um, we will continue doing fun, spooky stories um, in New England for October. All right. Try not to kill anybody and don't mess with Ouija boards. Goodbye. Bye.